from Relay FM. This is Analog, episode 21, making the show legally old enough to drink, which is great <laughs> considering it's a new year. Happy New Year to all. This episode is brought to you by Harry's, an exceptional shave at half the price. Hover, simplified domain management, and Dev Mountain, a world-class coding school based in the mountains of Utah. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined, as I always am, by Mr. Casey Liss. Hi, Casey. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Mr. Casey Liss. And we have a special guest today, our good friend, Mr. Joe Steele. Hi, Joe. Hello. So uh, you, if you listen around for long enough, dear listener, you will hear at the end of the episode why Joe is on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> As we randomly called him in to discuss why Casey said Star Wars was terrible. So you can, Oh, you would have, you stop? That is, that is patently untrue. Well, people can make up their own minds when they oh, get to, God. to the end. Uh, Please the email show. Mike. Email Mike. Actually, email Joe. We'll make the guests take all the angry emails. Definitely, people will definitely be emailing you, Casey, at oh, the, the end of this week's show. Mr. Casey Liss, how was your New Year's Eve? Uh, it was good. It was mellow in a good way. Um, we had a couple and their t- nearly two-year-old son come over um, because we figured they were about the only people that would understand our uh, potential refusal to stay up until midnight, although we did end up staying up till midnight and then immediately running to bed thereafter. Um, and it was, it was very nice. It was good to see them. We hadn't seen them in a while. And it, like I said, very mellow and it was good. How was yours, Mike? It was nice. It was, it was a relaxed one. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of New Year's Eve. So, uh, me and my lady, we, uh, ate good food and, and watched, uh, interesting movies. There was like, uh, basically my girlfriend is Romanian and we watched, a Romanian film. It was interesting. It was called Black Cat, White Cat. It was. It was. It was. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Basically, and that's more. That's information. a ringing endorsement. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, fine. was the cat? Was there a black cat and a white cat, or was it one cat that turned into a black cat and a white cat? <laughs> there were two cats. There was a black cat oh, and a white okay. cat. So I'll, Spoiler I'll alert. basically I'll put the. I'll put it in the show notes for this week's episode. You'll find the IMDb page, which probably yeah has a trailer. Once you watch the trailer, you'll kind of get why I thought it was going to be weird. And it was kind of weird, but weird in a good way. And I ended up quite enjoying it. How was your New Year's, Joe? Uh, it was it was fine. I, I uh, didn't do anything. Uh, Dan and I are in the middle of editing our end of the year thing. And so that has required a lot of uh, uh, labor. Um, compared to usual, uh, and then I I just mostly sat here until all of a sudden I heard fireworks go off, and then I was like, oh, I should probably, you know, say Happy New Year to somebody. Um, so that's exciting. And then and then uh, Casey Casey said finally um, when I when I said Happy New Year. So that was that was really respectful. <laughs> Thank you for that. Well, moment. It, it was about time. It was about time because mm-hmm. you know the West Coast is so far behind basically everyone. And I mean, if if America or God, if Americans, if uh, East Coaster can be smug about how advanced they are compared to anyone else that's pretty bad because i have friends in australia who I, i'm convinced they're in february already so that this was my moment to be like an australian and be smug about the fact that they're living in the future however you do know that the only new year's eve that makes any sense is mine like you're aware of that right because, i'm not going because there. of ultimate time it's not ultimate time it the world runs time. on east coast time nope well it actually doesn't it runs on gmt which is my time like that's my time no, that's not because don't you have summertime? Yeah, but we only go off by an hour. Like well, so, it's not your time. It's right off now, by we're an hour. We're on GMT. We're on GMT right now. 
uh, oh. Casey, when you're doing computer programming, how how are uh, don't you even start with me. Don't even start. I knew, uh, I was I, waiting for one of you to go there, and I was hoping you uh, wouldn't. So, do you want to know something interesting? Do I have to? I think so. Uh, I found this out last night, and I think I found an article that agrees with me. Um, the atomic clock, right? The GMT atomic clock, that is set to Big Ben. Wait, what? At New Year's Eve? Mean... No. It's not the reverse? <laughs> nope. What? Yep. That doesn't make okay, any you, sense. Okay, you... You in, guys should not be in charge of time anymore. In 2008, an extra second was added uh, onto official clocks. So, no, actually, no, that wasn't right. But what I just said, I heard on the TV show last night called uh, Jules Holland Hootenanny. Uh, and basically the guy who, ti- who keeps the time of Big Ben basically said this information. So I'm going to take that as fact, and you guys are going to have to deal with it. Hold on, can, hold on, hold you, on, hold on. Can you say the name of that show again? Thank you, Joe. That's exactly what I wanted to It's a really authoritative show. <laughs> the Jules Holland Hootenanny. I know, oh. I, know, I know how that sounds, but you just need to deal with it. Joe, I don't think you and I need to do anything. I think Mike has already eviscerated his own argument. That, that's oh, a really good goodness. footnote, I think, <laughs> for, for your, to cite your reference there. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right, do we have a little bit of follow-up that Joe's going to have to sit through, and then uh, we can talk about some interesting stuff? It, this is a very short short piece of follow-up. Uh, friend of the show, uh, Timer Koala Singh. Um, <laughs> what am I even what am I saying? Uh, the koala sent in some good uh, follow-up about last week's episode um, and asking us to refer to episode 183 of Back to Work, um, in which Merlin and Dan talk about uh, who has the canon which is quite interesting. And, and basically what this idea means, that once you explained it to me, I remembered the episode, you know, where we were talking about um, starting fights on the, on the internet, uh, who has the cannon? So who has like the, the power to destroy? And like in right. Merlin's case, with as many followers as he has, or in Casey's case, as many followers as he has, having those fights on the internet, you have the collective power of anybody that can see what you're saying to be on your side if you want to. Like, that is a, a force. Um, and maybe, you know, you should you should be mindful of that. And he wasn't saying that we weren't, but it's just an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, it is a very good point. And, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we were talking about last episode happened to be, or at least a lot of stuff I was talking about, happened to be about private conversations via email where I think this this particular point is a little less relevant. However, there's certainly been plenty of times that I've gotten into semi-public spats with people, which I'm not proud of. I think I sounded proud when I said that. I'm not. Uh, and, and like I said, my goal for this year is not to do that anymore. But but yeah, it's it's something to consider, and it's something to be cognizant of. And and hopefully I'll do better with that this year. Um, no, uh, th- What did we give the person's name last week who emailed? Charlie, is that right? We'll go with Charlie. I was expecting to hear from Charlie, so as was I. Charlie clearly did stop listening, uh, <laughs> as as they promised, because um, uh, I, I was expecting to hear from Charlie, but but did not. Joe, did you listen to last week's episode? I I did. Do do you have any Do you have any feedback for us? You can be Charlie if you want to. Yes, I'm I'm Charlie, and and uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I um no, I had listened I had listened live. Uh, I, I was I I. 
understand where you guys come from when you say what you're saying. Uh, and yes, I also felt sort of the uh, the uncomfortableness of like, oh, I hope this person doesn't get really upset about it. But but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's really tough because on the one hand, you this show is about sharing um, uh, sort of the behind the scenes of what you both do uh, and how you interact with people, uh, and you try to do that as honestly as possible. Uh, so I, I don't know how you. You can do that, but also ignore that uh, while that would be better for, I guess, uh, uh, customer relations, not, not to, to dwell on the things that uh, are not good um, in life. Uh, I, it, it wouldn't really represent the uh, show that you're trying to portray, I don't think. You had glossed over it. Warts and all. Mm-hmm. That's one way of looking at it. Are you familiar with that, with that phrase? I don't know if that's a phrase that has traveled outside of the UK. Uh, yes, it has. Okay. Oh, has it? I mean, I was going to say, I don't recall having heard it, but I'm pretty sure I could figure out what it's intending to mean. Well, it was uh, Oliver Cromwell, I believe, uh, was having a, a painting made of him um, and asked to be painted warts, warts and all. Um, so basically, don't cover up my blemishes just because you're painting me. Hmm. That's kind of cool. Although there's probably a lot more nuanced in it than that, but. So apparently there's a site called WikiQuote, and WikiQuote is where I will be drawing the quote from for the show notes. All right. So what are we talking about tonight? Well, a couple of things. Uh, I want to talk about guilt, um, and I want to talk about criticism. Uh, I, have, I, I want to talk about fast text, basically. Oh, great. Yep. Because you decided you wanted to get all touchy-feely on ATP, so I decided I wasn't going to let that go by. <laughs> um, especially because, uh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let the the listeners and Casey uh, into a feeling that I have where I feel slightly betrayed by Casey. <laughs> so Casey told me uh, that he was going to be taking down fast text, um, and then we were gonna. He said, "Oh, maybe it would be interesting for us to talk about." And he's, but he was like, "I don't know how we could turn it into a discussion, right?" So me and him were talking for a bit, and I was like, "Well, it's kind of like guilt, right?" And he was like, "Yeah, okay." So we were talking about it, and he was like, "Yeah, no, I get that." And I was like saying to him, "Oh, well, this is ways that I could, we could try and flesh this out as more of a topic." Lo and behold, I listened to ATP. And Casey talks about the guilt uh, aspect of removing fast text. And then I wonder where he got that great idea from. Uh, and now this is me trying to make Casey feel guilty, just in the, in the whole <laughs> real ambiance of this week's episode. But didn't we talk? Uh, did we not talk nope. about me pulling fast text? No, because you pulled it and then you went and spoke on your other podcast about it. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. And then, and then we, now we get to talk about it many weeks later because now I want to make you feel guilty. Well, it's already starting to succeed, so I hope you're happy. <laughs> I, I was okay. like, I was, when I listened to it, I was like, huh, okay, so that was our topic idea. And you know that I, <laughs> you know, considering that no one will honor the agreement, uh, I, have to, I have to take these fights where I can get them. Fair enough. So does that mean we're going to talk about nuanced technical topics on this uh, episode then? Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about window management, which is why I have Joe here. God. Um, <laughs> Goodness. All right, all right. Well, before before we get to fast text, uh, why don't you uh, kind of set up the uh, set up the topic, and maybe we can start with one of us, and then rope Joe in, and and he can get he can be guilted into talking about guilt. 
That sounds like a great idea. But before we do that, let's thank Harry's. The holidays are over, and now's the time to start fresh and start making smarter decisions. Many of us will be thinking about what we're going to start doing differently. We spoke about New Year's resolutions last week. Maybe you want to start going to the gym. Maybe you're going to start eating healthier. Maybe you're going to learn Objective-C. Well, why not start giving more love to your handsome face. It's time to make the smart switch to Harry's. Harry's high-quality German-engineered blades are crafted for sharpness and precision. Half the price of big-name drugstore brands, overpaying for drugstore razor blades is a bad habit that you should leave behind with 2014 in the dust. Harry's.com was started by two guys passionate about creating a better shaving experience, and this is something they achieve. I love the way that razors look. I love how the products feel good on my skin. This is from the shaving creams and gels, like the way uh, that they kind of work together, like it all works together in harmony. The great feeling blades and these fantastic like smelling products that feel really smooth. It just is all a great combination. And it's why I love using Harry's. Harry's bought a blade factory in Germany that has been crafting some of the world's highest quality blades for almost a century. By cutting out the middleman, this is how they can offer an amazing shave at a fraction of the price of drugstore brands. Their starter set is just $15. This includes a razor, three blades, and your choice of Harry's shave gel or foaming, sorry, shave cream or foaming shave gel. I like the foaming gel myself because I'm a bit of a sucker for the way that like you spray out a gel and then you rub your hands on it and it turns into a foam. It just makes me smile every time. I don't know why. I just really like it. Uh, shipping is free with Harry's, so you don't have to, to worry about the price jumping up when you get to the checkout. You just... $15, that's going to get you this kit sent right to your door. Go to harrys.com right now, and they will give you $5 off if you use the code ANALOG at checkout with your first purchase. That's harrys.com and the code ANALOG. Start shaving smarter today with Harry's. Thank you so much to Harry's for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Casey, I'm sorry for giving you a hard time. No, oh, it's okay. I'm just... I'm cool with it. Just go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm setting the tone, right? If I make you feel bad, then you might like really, really open up or something. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you're going to beat me up and then I'm going to tell you all my secrets. I see how it is. Yeah. So, I mean, we've, you've spoken about it and I've kind of set it up. Like an interesting thing about guilt is the way that you have felt in getting rid of, in shutting down fast text. Now, if I talk about something for me, but professionally, I feel guilty about uh, audio quality and editing. Um, and making the balance between time, uh, my skills, uh, my knowledge, and learning more, and also setting aside the time to learn more, because I want to do that, right? It's a, a task that I have in my OmniFocus is to sit down and learn a lot more about EQ and compression and that sort of stuff. But I'm balancing that against show prep and finding sponsors and stuff like that, right? So I, I need to try and find where's my time coming from, what am I putting my time into? I have some big projects that I'm working on right now and stuff like that. So I have this guilt in where is my time, where should my time be going, what's the most important thing, and then sometimes someone will bring this up with me and then I feel really bad because it's not as as it should be or as some people think it should be, even though I kind of think the shows sound good, but some people have more sensitive ears than me, maybe, I'm not sure. But it's just an interesting thing how when people can bring these things up with you, how if you feel that way, like if there's a nugget of truth that's already there with this thing, you feel so much worse. Like when people bring up like uh, chapter support, right, which is a long running joke, but it's a thing. Uh, I don't really feel guilty about it because I think that my reasoning for it is is pretty sound. Uh, it's something that 
the majority of people don't use and the majority of people that listen to our shows don't use podcast clients that support them. So it feels like it would be a fool's errand to add this additional process in because, for example, Logic doesn't have chapter support, so I'd have to use another app, I'd have to use another point of failure. Anyway, so I don't really feel bad about that one, but I do feel bad about the audio quality because I feel like it's something that I should put more time into uh, and I'm trying to put more time into and I'm trying to learn this stuff, but I feel the guilt when people mention it. Joe, do you have anything like this that you're willing to share? We, we brought you on this show under false pretenses, and now basically you're being forced to talk about all the animal's <laughs> feelings of everyone. Um, uh, yeah. Um, well, I can, I can, I can agree to some of that. Uh, on on the one hand, um, uh, the the podcast that I do with uh, with Dan, um, we uh, uh, that was just defocused, uh, which both of you have been guests on, um. There have been only two occasions where I've edited, edited, eh, edited it myself, and I felt um, uh, terrible listening to like even like the little bumps on a desk or something like that, or little clicks in the environment that I was sitting there like scrubbing and removing and uh, trying to get rid of, and I wasn't sure I was doing as good enough of a job as uh, listeners would have expected. If Dan were doing, if Dan was doing it, uh, so I felt self-conscious about that and a little guilty about it. But I also feel guilty when I've only done two of them and then Dan's done the rest. Uh, so I, I don't want to make him feel like uh, he's all the only one that does any real work on the show, and I just sort of show up, um, which uh, is what it feels like sometimes. And and I'm I'm very honest with him, like, uh, p- please let me know if you need help. But it's not the kind of thing where you can like share audio editing back and forth. Uh, so. So it, it is it is strange uh, to to sort of navigate that guilt uh, to feel like, well, am I helping as much as I should be helping? Am I doing what I should be doing? Like I bought a different microphone, tried to change what I was doing for the recording in the environment and stuff like that, uh, just to try to clean up the audio. But that's and that that's, you know, guilt for the listeners trying to improve the uh, the quality that they're getting on their end and also making trying to make it easier for Dan. So Casey, for anybody that hasn't heard, or if if you wanted to add any more color, like what what made you want to pull fast text out of the store? Like a, a very brief background to why this guilt existed, and then what made you pull the trigger on the decision? Sure. So just to make sure we are all starting from the same spot, fast text was a very simple app that I wrote. Um, I think it was when iOS four came out uh, because that allowed you to programmatically queue up a text message. Um, via an app. And so it arrived in the store in 2010, I believe, and it was there until um, the end of 2014. And when iOS 7 happened and the visual redesign happened, I knew that I probably should go ahead and update FastText to reflect the new design. And I just never got around to doing it. And I could tell you, oh, I just had other priorities. I didn't have time. Um, it's not my fault. I can't do anything about it. I have work and I, we were trying to have a baby and then we were having a baby and blah, blah, blah. But the reality of the situation is I just didn't make the time to do it. And then when fast, I'm sorry, when iOS eight came out, then that got to be almost absurd that here it is an app that's last been updated for iOS six and we're all the way up to iOS eight. Then finally, Marco announces Overcast, and that's especially when the jokes started about, oh, well, who's going to release first? Overcast, this brand new app that's started from nothing that is undeniably considerably more complex than Fast Text, 
or the fast text update for iOS 7. And as it turns out, not only did iOS 8 beat me, but Marco and Overcast beat me. And at that point, I was just setting myself up for joke after joke after joke. And it happened periodically, you know, once or twice a week, I'd say I got some sort of joke about how I, uh, how fast text wasn't updated yet for iOS 7. And here it is. Overcast is out. iOS 8 is out, et cetera, et cetera. And the problem with those jokes is that even if I found it funny, and even if it was from someone I know, and so you know how you give people you consider to be friends a lot more slack than you do strangers. Like, you know, you beating me up about talking about this on ATP, I, mean, I do actually feel a little bad about it, but I know that it's fine. And <laughs> yeah, because I really don't want you to. Well, and Joe beating me up about every film-related choice I've ever made in my 32 years on this planet, I've come to the point that I'm okay with that. No, but Joe and I, you know, I, I feel like we know, we get, we've gotten to know each other well enough that, that he can say that in 99, if not 100% of the time, I really don't care. I find it funny. Um, but there are times, especially when there's truth behind it, that even if it's from someone you care about, it still stings. And when people that I care about are saying, oh, well, you know, this thing still hasn't been updated. This is getting ridiculous. I'm, I'm waiting for, I don't know, you know, some deity to come back to Earth before Fast Text gets updated. And even if, it, even if Mike had said that, it still, it hurts because I feel guilty about it because I know Mike's right. Like, how have I not found the 10 minutes to recompile this app and, and throw it over to the store? And it's kind of ridiculous. And I felt guilty about it. And so eventually it got to the point that I was in a sour mood in general, and somebody made a joke, which was clearly, without question, not meant to be a jerk. It was meant to be haha funny. But I was in a bad spot because I was grumpy at work or whatever. I don't even remember what the situation was. And I ended up deciding, you know what? I, I, I should be able to admit to myself that I'm never going to update this thing. It's never going to happen, especially now with Declan around. I should just pull it because I'm just kidding myself now. And the problem is this thing that I was once very proud of, because I was super proud of myself when I got it in the store. I barely knew Objective-C. I could barely get anything done on iOS. And yet somehow I made this functional and I thought useful app. Now just fast forward four years and I'm kind of embarrassed by it. And I shouldn't have that out in the wild anymore. And so I pulled it and, and my first, after I pulled it, I kind of felt a little depressed and sad because as stupid as fast text was, I was, I was still sort of proud of it, even while I was embarrassed of it. But now about a month on, I think it was the right call. I, I really think it was the right call because it's that it's a burden that's lifted off of me and it's jokes that I don't have to hear anymore. Uh, but are they gone though? Are they not just jokes told in a different way? Are people, are people not saying anything to you anymore? Uh, not as much. The one thing I have heard semi-frequently is, um, oh, workflow has replaced fast text. Right. And the comedy of that joke is, ask me what I did like a day or two ago. You set up workflow so you can remove fast text. <laughs> It's so true. Because <laughs> I was going to so, ask you, like, are you still using it? But obviously I, not. Yeah, well, I am, but where it used to occupy a spot on my first home screen, now... What I found was 90, 99% of the time I use fast text, it was to tell Aaron, hey, I'm on my way home. And so now I've set up a workflow that says, 
you know, where am I presently? How long will it take to get to home? Oh, see, so much and more then, like, I mean, not 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 trying to be a jerk, but that's so no, much no, more than you would have ever done or been able to do. Absolutely, maybe. absolutely, that is absolutely true. No offense taken. And so, so even for me, it's it's been shoved into my second of. <laughs> three or four home screens. You may have ended up just get stop using it anyway, even if you yeah. would have updated it. Exactly. Have you set that as like, uh, is that in workflow or have you set that up as a uh, just a home screen icon? No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. There's a home screen icon, which oh, of course yeah, is is a green little text message bubble. So it vaguely <laughs> resembles, it like, vaguely resembles like it. Trojan fast text. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but it doesn't have, it doesn't have the legs. <laughs> No, it does uh, not have legs. That is absolutely I, true. I know. Um, John, John Syracuse will be very upset. Uh, he will be very upset. But yeah, but <laughs> now sitting on my home screen, instead, it, 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 it was the phone and then fast text. Now it's phone and then a workflow that I call ETA to Aaron. And right. so I tap that on my home screen. It figures out how long is it going to take me to get back home to Aaron and queues up a text message that says, you know, I'm leaving now. I will be home in blank minutes. Wouldn't it be sweet if it could somehow pull in to find my friends? So then, like, not even ETA to homes, like ETA to your actual location. That would be cool, but I don't think there's APIs for but it. That's also terrifying. <laughs> that is a little <laughs> bit weird. Um, there was and, some. Uh, was, oh, go on. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that we should really unwrap what APIs are available for this sort of thing, just so we get into ATP territory to pay those jerks back, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm all about the APIs. <laughs> um, <laughs> Casey, are you a procrastinator? Uh, let me think about it and get back to you. <laughs> Ding. Mm. Joe, Joe, you're not satisfied with that with that answer? Well, no, no, no. It's just I, 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 I saw that one coming a mile away. Uh, but, but you know, in terms of, like, not making you feel bad, which is sort of the theme of the show, uh, <laughs> you, you, you only got a, a, a hesitant mm for that. <laughs> Fair enough. Are you a procrastinator, Joe? Oh, I'm a huge procrastinator. You kidding? Uh, yeah, there's, there's so many projects and things that I want to do. Uh, I was reflecting on all of the, you know, like things that I'd said to myself and like the uh, reviewing the previous year, what I'm going to look forward to doing the next year. And I'm like, uh, I kind of didn't do all those. Um, so <laughs> it, it's some self guilt. Um, but the, uh, the, yeah, procrastination is huge. And I, I understand how it, it factors into uh, uh, revisiting your software and uh, trying to, to, to address that stuff yourself um and a confession i didn't want to interrupt you uh when you were talking but uh, i have made the fast text jokes and i feel very bad about it because i thought <laughs> I, th I thought it was just joking at the time and then later on to hear that it was it was actually like damaging your psyche um was uh <laughs> not not what i was going for um i i do deeply respect and like you and i don't want to i don't want to uh, uh hassle you uh, and hurt your feelings over this. I think it was an a tremendous accomplishment of an application. I have never made anything like that in my life, even though it's on my list of things to do that I'm procrastinating on. Um, so <laughs> you, 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 you've done a far better job uh, at, at many things in your life than than a lot of other people have. So uh, I think you should be proud of that. That's very kind of you to say. And and the thing of it is, I really meant what I was saying earlier, that it wasn't really any one joke that that got to me. It was just the sum total of all of those little scratches that eventually I was like, I I've had enough. And so uh, th I'm saying that hopefully to alleviate and remove that guilt from you, I'm probably not succeeding, but I really do mean it. Um, 
it, it was just that over time, it just got to be such a burden that I needed it off my back. But to go back just a half step, Mike, would you say that you are a procrastinator? Yeah, but I'm now going to jump forward a half a step and then come back to that <laughs> step. One of the, one of the interesting and, uh, and things that makes me a little bit sad about this show is the amount of people that apologize to us after each episode for something that they think they might have done that upset us. And, and I've really, uh, this is my, my plea, is please don't apologize. You really don't need to. Like if we're speaking about something like this and you feel like you may have upset us, like an apology is, is not necessary. Like you don't need to do it. Like because you you just shouldn't have to, I don't think. I, I personally don't think that people should have to apologize to me for things that I say, like, upset my precious little feelings on this show. Like, <laughs> if you upset me, like, enough that it warrants an apology, I wouldn't say an apology will be demanded of you, but you'll know that you'll have to give one because I will say something. Like, do you understand what I mean? Like... Yeah. If you say something to me that I think's really mean and has upset me, uh, you, I will most likely say something. You know, because they're, they're like the times that I said like last week where I might pick a fight uh, is if somebody really really upsets me. But just these little things we talk about. It was like last week, there were like a bunch of emails apologizing for various things, and I really wish that people wouldn't have to feel like they need to. If you really want to, like, go ahead, but please don't don't feel like you have to apologize. Uh, and I'm I'm going to speak for Casey. Please don't feel yeah, like you have absolutely. to apologize to Casey if you've made a fast sex joke. We've all done it. Like, I've done it for God's sakes. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's not an unreasonable joke. And the funny thing about um about the show is that when when we get bothered, Mike and I, about something, that kind of becomes something to talk about. So you could almost argue that it's. Yeah. Better for us. Keep being mean. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> so yes, I am a procrastinator, and I have not realized how much of a procrastinator I am until there was nobody to tell me I had to do anything anymore. <laughs> yep, it's, I can imagine. It's getting bad, man. I'm having to be a lot more strict with myself because now that there isn't like a boss, uh, I just sometimes mean to, like for example, I could be like, right, I'm going to leave the house at 10 a.m., tomorrow and i'll leave the house at like 12 and it's, <laughs> like what am i doing like i'm doing things like i'm i'm responding to email and stuff but i'm just not i'm just not moving forward you know so there are things that i'm doing to try and combat it like i mentioned like this co-working space that i sign up for where i pay money now so i have to go to this place and whenever i go to this place i do more work than i do anywhere else because i'm devoid of distractions which people find weird but i find it more distracting to be at home and to be out of home because when I'm at home, I have like video games consoles surrounding me, so I could just pick them up. Like, oh, I'll just play for a bit, and then like two hours goes by. Yep. So yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. When I was uh, I, when I've experienced some, let's call them work slowdowns. Um, and and <laughs> so there were like there was like six months last year where I wasn't really doing a whole heck of a lot, and I uh meant to do a bunch of stuff with my free time that I was going to have. I had convinced myself I was going to like uh, teach myself. Uh, like Python well enough to like be proficient, uh, where, whereas right now I can just kludge stuff together. Um, or and I thought I would you know like uh, just use it to improve myself and move forward and do all kinds of stuff. And and I was able to set these lofty goals and then somehow manage to find that like Mike, I was just leaving a little later, going to places a little later than I should be, uh, just running errands that took forever. 
um, for seemingly no reason, but it's like, oh, well, I got to do it. But then it's just like, well, it's not like that the rest of the year. So what exactly is happening right now where these, this errand is taking so long and uh, I'm, I'm sort of filling up my time with a bunch of little meaningless things and not paying attention to the schedule I had set for doing serious work rather, rather than just goofing off. I think the worst part of procrastination is the feeling that you get once you realize what you're doing. Like the worst part is not leaving the work later because kind of, at least for me anyway, the work will always get done, but it might mean that I'm up until four in the morning one day doing it. You know, that's not the worst part. Like I actually think that the worst part is like the, oh man, I haven't done anything for the last four hours and I really meant to do that. So it's like I'm really trying to like push myself more now. But I think that I, I, what I think I've come to the realization is that I don't have good enough ugh, systems <laughs> uh, in place. I don't, I don't have any, I don't know. I feel like Steven's going to hear this and like he's now just going to bug me like every minute of the day. What are you doing today? Because <laughs> in theory, like he's the only person, right, who can can make me do anything. Because there's it's just me and him, right? There's nobody above us. So as long as I keep to my schedule, like as long as I'm releasing the shows, it's like kind of okay, you know, to everybody else in the world. Like everyone else is happy, like because really all people want is the shows. But all the other stuff that I have to do, they're the things that I procrastinate on the most. So it's like. Uh, and plus I have this, this, I keep saying this, but I have this thing that I'm working on. I have, a, I have something I'm very excited about. Uh, and basically that's making everything else feel harder until I can do this, start doing this thing, you know, cause I just want to replace something with this thing. I, I know I'm being, being that guy that everybody hates and just talking that, about things that I can't tell you about. That's a little uh, vague. Yeah. I know. <laughs> for, for, for relating to. <laughs> relating to this. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm working on a new show idea, which kind of adapts a previous show idea, basically. So I all I want to do is work on the new thing and less on the current thing. And and that's like it adding to my procrastination because now I'm choosing to work more on the future thing and less on the thing that I actually need to be doing the work on right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's it's you're not able to manage your time because you, you, it's based on the excitement you have for this other thing, and so you'd much rather be working on that. Um, yeah, and, and and that's true for everybody. Uh, whatever boring, menial, dumb chore you have uh, that you need to get done, and then it'll just be over with, you'll put off because there's something more exciting on the horizon that you'd rather be working to, uh, rather get your work done doing. Um, whatever I just said. <clears throat> I like get your work done doing. Yes, I feel yes, like that could I, go on a T-shirt or something. Uh, I should sell a book. Uh, <laughs> get your work done doing. Uh, it'll be the, the, the nemesis to getting things done. <laughs> Casey, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Uh, do you think you would have updated Fast Text and or moved faster on it if you were making good money with it? Um, so the cop-out answer to this question is I was making money on it. Good, but... good money. is Because I know that you've <laughs> a lot of money. Because you've been, you've been open with that, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wrote a post about um, exactly how much money I made over the four years that Fast Text was in the store. And the TLDR version of that, or I'm sorry, John Syracuse, the too long didn't read version of that is... Because the problem with uh, TLDR is like your... <laughs> when you say it like that, is exactly. you are TLDRing TLDR. Anyway, yep. so, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> so the problem, or the, 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 
the problem that I have with fast text was it really didn't make any money until it happened to be mentioned a couple times on ATP. And because of that, I got humongous bumps, which is wonderful. I'm not complaining at all, but really fast texted was barely in the black in the grand scheme of things. And I think I made a few hundred bucks. I forget exactly what, how the numbers boiled down off the top of my head, but it was a few hundred bucks over four years, which is not insignificant, but not good money by most measures. Um, to more directly answer your question, would I have moved on it if it made good money? I think so. Um, I certainly prioritize the the work that I do, which to be fair is very middle minimal, um, but the work that I do for both analog and ATP outside of just the talking part. Um, I certainly prioritize that pretty high in my, you know, weekly chores, if I could call it a chore. And that's because I do make pretty good money off this stuff, and I'm very lucky for that. And so I think I would have prioritized it more. But I don't know that I would have necessarily, I mean, it would have had to have made serious money for me to shimmy around or reshuffle my priorities in order to get fast text high enough that I actually fixed my problems that I was having. Is that because you, it, that it would have to make that much money in order for it to be a job? And right now it's not a job. It's a, it's, you know, to, you know, not, not, not to belittle it, but to say, wouldn't you think of it as more of a hobby? Uh, yes. when, when you were doing it. Um, so mm-hmm. then it didn't feel like you had to do it. It just needed to be fun in order for you to want to do it. And when it wasn't fun, then you didn't do your hobby anymore. Um, it, would, yeah. would that be a fair assessment? Uh, which I is think, why I like, so. if it had made money, then even if it wasn't fun, then it would still be worth doing because it would be the job in a way. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the other half of this is that I should be marginally more specific. And here we go, channeling ATP about what was going on with fast text, which is to say, not only did I want to do the visual refresh, which to be honest, I was pretty much using raw UI kit. And if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. But there, suffice to say, there wasn't very much programming to be done to update the visual aspects of the app. However, there's one screen in the app where you create a message that you're going to save that had a nifty little animation in it. And there were some visual quirks with that screen. And rather than using the old and busted technology that it was using, um, Springs and Struts, uh, which is a, a layout mechanism that was modern at the time I wrote Fast Text, but has since been replaced by this thing called Auto Layout. And Auto Layout melts my freaking brain. Like, it, I cannot understand it. And, and I think it's a combination, Joe, of exactly what you said, that it just stopped being fun. And so... I didn't really want to do it. And also and also that I felt like it was this insurmountable mountain that I had to climb. And you combine me me being at the base of the mountain, looking up and going, holy crap, with the fact that this thing that used to be fun and is designed to be fun and isn't really fun anymore... Like that, between the two, that was enough for me to just continually procrastinate and put it off. And eventually, eventually I needed to just admit to myself that, you know what, it's just never going to happen. Well, like I would argue, and this is not a, this is not a slight on you. I think this is everyone. I know that I would be the same. If it made you a thousand dollars a month, you would have learned auto layout. Right. Yeah, I agree. And that uh, you're absolutely right in that. I think if it was making serious money, I would have reprioritized things in my life in order to give myself the time to learn auto layout and fix my problems. 
But because it was not fun for me to to learn auto layout and fix it, and because I was kind of begrudging the fact that I I had imposed upon my I'd agreed with myself that I wasn't going to just hack through what's there and and band-aid it. I wanted to fix it properly by using auto layout. Um so because of that, I couldn't just take the quick and easy route and bail. And because I was compelling myself to do the hard route, I ended up just bailing on the hard route by not doing anything at all and just killing the entire app, which when I describe it that way seems really stupid and dramatic. But again, I, I still think looking back on it, that was probably for the best. I still had a couple more things that I wanted to, well, there was one point that I wanted to bring up that I thought was interesting from the episode of ATP. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk about our second sponsor this week, which is very relevant. Uh, this week's episode of Analog is brought to you by our friends at Dev Mountain. Dev Mountain is a world-class coding school based in the mountains of Utah. They deliver the best learning experience you can find in one of the most beautiful places in the world. Dev Mountain is opening applications for a 12-week full-time iOS development course that's beginning in the first week of February. But you've got to act fast if you're interested because there are only five slots available at the moment and it starts in four weeks. So these have been filling up since the last time we're talking about them so you want to get in there quickly if you're interested and i'm sure you will be interested because this does sound amazing as a student you will be assigned an individual mentor to help answer questions when you get stuck and make sure that you get the most out of the class the level of care that they give is crazy awesome and will make sure that you're going to get the most out of your time there whether you're new to coding or if you struggled with learning to code in the past you're a perfect candidate for dev mountain with a mentor and a structured learning environment you're so much more likely to learn to code february is a fantastic time to visit Utah. It's beautiful all year round there, but the mountains and snow this time of year are gorgeous. And the tuition fee includes free housing for full-time students, so you'll be able to enjoy it with students that are coming from all over the world to come to Dev Mountain. And you'll have access to the campus 24 hours a day. Students at Dev Mountain actually build and finish iOS apps. They have many students at, who attend Dev Mountain that finish the course with not one, but two apps in the App Store by the end of it. This isn't theoretical, this is real learning. Listeners of Analog can get a $250 discount when you use the coupon code FUNEMPLOYMENT at checkout. <laughs> And after all, the market for one-tap predefined text message apps just opened up, so you can have <laughs> an iOS 8 version submitted in less than 12 weeks. You've always wished you could learn to build iOS apps. Make 2015 the year this actually happens. Learn to code. It's time. Go to devmountain.com slash analog for $250 off. You want to use the code Fun Employment. Thank you so much to Dev Mountain for their support of this week's show. So a couple quick thoughts there really, really quickly. Uh, first, it would definitely be doable to, say, write a fast text replacement in 12 weeks. Um, and secondly, Mary Asha uh, wrote something in the chat, and I think she made a really good summary of what I was stumbling through, which is um, it doesn't really seem that stupid for, for me to have killed fast text. Potential money would have been a reward in place of the enjoyment of climbing that hill. But climbing the mountain with no reward and not enjoying the journey would have just been not a fun experience. And I think that, that she had summarized that really well. So thank you. So something that John said, um, a query that he had for you uh, on the episode of ATP was just like, why don't you just make it, make it free so then you don't have to feel bad and people ask for an update because it's free. Um, and you didn't really challenge him on this, but I, the way that I saw it is it actually doesn't solve the problem you were having. 
Making it free doesn't solve the issue because the app is still there unupdated. Right. That's exactly right. And and the problem I was having when it really boils down to it was that I'm kind I was I was kind of embarrassed by the app because it was so clearly old and so clearly in desperate need of new paint and, you know, a little bit of polish. And you're out, you you've you're right that by making it free, I've solved none of the above. And and so I felt like it was better to just pull it entirely and not announce to the world that here's this app that Casey wrote and God, look at how busted it is. Um, I'd rather it just cease to exist entirely. Yeah, because it was the problem was it being around, not being the fact that people were paying for it. Probably, I don't, I don't know. There was added guilt because I knew people were giving their hard earned money to to me for that app, and I mean the app was a dollar, and I think by most measures a dollar is not a lot of money, but it's still somebody's money. It's somebody's money that they gave to me in order to have an app that I think they can reasonably expect was at least updated for iOS 7, if not iOS 8. And so there was guilt there for sure. Uh, there are screenshots. Yeah. I don't Unless know. you had iOS 7 screenshots, that would have been so funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, w- that would have been rough. But no, I, they, there were screenshots announcing how old it was. But that was part of the problem was there were screenshots announcing how old it was. I don't know. So, Joe, have you ever, like, killed a project or um, perhaps had a project killed out from under you? And how has that been hard to come to terms with? Oh, uh, usually all of the project euthanization occurs off screen. Um, I, I, I don't <laughs> I, I, I usually will commit to working on something and then get it to a certain point and be like, ah, this is never going to work and it's not any fun and I hate doing it. And then it goes unreleased. Uh, and so that's slightly different than killing things that are out there in the in the world um and no one would really care that much about any of the things that i have killed out in the world like uh uh my old like wordpress site that i put up there to like share flickr photos like who cares like that, that doesn't matter um i i felt more guilt about you know it uh being up and not maintained properly um uh which is how i felt uh and i had a tumblr blog and i was just sort of like irritated with it. And so I, I, my guilt there was to make, uh, inspired by your project, uh, to just write my own blog thing and do that. Um, and that I didn't kill, but it, it was in a way it resulted in the death of the, the Tumblr site. Cause I, I, um, you know, when I, like you're saying, like you get to a certain point and you're just like, oh, well, burn it down. I don't want to be reminded of this thing. Uh, some, <laughs> something that Mike does quite often uh, is, is sort of cut, cut ties with uh, with creations of the past and move on forwards. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say, Mike? Yeah, I was I, I was going to talk about this. I, I've spoken about, I speak about this a bunch on this show. Like, I, I don't mind killing something uh, if I feel like it's the right time. Like, and the guilt aspect comes into it. Like, if I think something is not good anymore... Like if I feel like I'm just kind of like going through the motions and making a show that's not good, uh, then I start to feel guilty about that because I feel like I'm not giving people, I can't think of a better term, I'm not giving people their money's worth. Like they're not getting what they're here for. Like I'm not respecting people's time anymore. Um, if I'm not creating something that's worthless that I th- even I think is worth listening. So I do feel guilty about that and it, it makes me come to the decision to to end shows. Like shows that, people still really like but i think that they're not 
up to the standard that I want to produce anymore. So I feel that guilt, it's like self, like it's completely self-imposed, self-inflicted guilt. Because in no, no, like I've never been told, like in any of these instances, um, the show's not fun anymore. Or like, you know, I, I change formats and I do this and I have done this quite often. Like I will change the format of a show completely or I will uh, bring in totally new, like, um, I can't think of the right term, like segments or something. Yeah, I think it's probably the, the term that I'm looking for to change something if I feel like it's not good anymore. Um, this brings me to our new segment on this. <laughs> There's no new uh, segment. I see what you did there. There's no new <laughs> segment. Um yeah, that, you killed that one fast. Yeah, that joke was murdered, <laughs> was, was butchered. Uh, Casey, how do you feel now? Do you feel do you feel better? Do you feel do you actually feel any different about about fast text? Like, do you feel are you uh, happy? I I am happier because I do feel like there's a lot of guilt that I've removed. Um, it was like pulling off a band aid to use that completely terrible cliche. In that it kind of hurt, but then it was like ah, that's better. Um, it it I, I'm. A little sad that I don't have anything to point at that I can say, look at me, I actually know what I'm talking about. And you could probably make a compelling argument that Fast Text wasn't that either, but I like to think it was. Um, you know, in that, it, as simple as Fast Text may have been, it was still an app in the App Store. And and the history of Fast Text, the, the genesis, I should say, of Fast Text was that I wanted to be able to say, I have been able to put an app in the App Store. I just wanted to be able to say that to myself. And I can say that I have put an app in the App Store, but I can no longer say that I presently have an app in the App Store. Is that a big deal? Eh, not really. But as silly as this is going to sound, I do feel like a little piece of myself is gone now. And I think it was a piece that had kind of died off, so it was probably better that I removed it. But uh, it, it's still a little piece of me that isn't here anymore, and that's sad. But in the grand scheme of things, I do think it was the right call. And the nice thing is, is that over the last four years, I've built at least some amount of name for, or some name for myself between this show and ATP and hopefully a little bit with my blog as well, that I, I like to think I'm known for, what would I like to be known for? Um, I would like to be known for those things and (laughs) ding, um, I would like to be known for those things and hopefully, and, and I'm very proud of all three of those things. I'm very proud of the show and I'm very proud of ATP and I'm very proud of my blog and and so I think that they have kind of not replaced what fast text meant to me, but they're helping fill that void. All right. So one of the, I think one of the other sort of threads that goes hand in hand of this is criticism. Um, and I think that this is a topic that we've touched on a bunch of different times, uh, but I think that it might even be worth revisiting some of the, that idea now because Obviously, one of the, the the reasons that you felt guilt was because you were receiving criticism, uh, and it may have been a joke, or people may have been giving constructive criticism to you, but it was criticism that you were still receiving. People were being critical about fast text, you know, that it wasn't updated or whatever. Um, and so I wonder uh, from from both of you guys, and Joe, I'm going to ask you first. Actually, do you prefer to receive criticism from friends or strangers? Uh, friends. Why? Um, I have, well, fortunately I have this, uh, prior history with them, so I, I can kind of interpret <laughs> their criticism. <laughs> um, it, cause you know, sometimes people will say things, 
and be too nice about the criticism um, that they're they're giving you. Uh, be, be too polite. Um, so you can kind of factor in that sort of bias, uh, or you can you can uh, if they're making the sort of snarky remark, which I don't know why anybody would make a snarky remark uh, mark to me, but um, <laughs> they they uh, you, you can factor that in as well. Um, whereas with strangers, sometimes I I receive feedback um, on things, and it's sort of like well. I don't know what to do with this. Like, I'm not sure if you're, if you're, if you're joking or if you're serious or like, I, I can't, I can't measure, um, the, the, the criticism that I'm receiving. Uh, so, so for that reason, I, I, I don't enjoy it as much. Uh, and I usually find that to be more negative than, than feedback from friends, just because I, I have such a difficult time interpreting, um, what they're, what they're trying to get at. Uh, I, I don't know how either of you two feel about, about that divide. Casey? You know, it's hard. Um, for whatever reason, in many phases of my life, I feel like intent matters a lot to me. If, say, Erin said something that I didn't like, but if I think about why she said it and I realize, oh, well, you know what? Declan was up all night crying and she was nice enough not to wake me up to help deal with that. So, you know what? She's a little on edge, you know, and that's probably why she said that, that thing. And, and that is completely made up, but just hypothetically. Um, so because intent means a lot to me, I, I think I value feedback from, or criticism from friends much more because kind of like what Joe was saying, um, I think they understand what my intent is and what my motivations are. And so if they have that background knowledge and they still find that something I've done has left them wanting, then I should probably step back and think about what they're saying. That being said, because I take it very seriously when a friend says it, it also is much harder. And so in a way, I almost prefer to get it from strangers because it's easier to kind of just shove off and not pay attention to. And if you'll permit me a very quick aside, I had lunch yesterday with a friend of mine, Andrew, and I don't remember how he got on this, but he said to me something along the lines of, God, you get a lot of crap on Twitter, man. And I was like, what? So yeah, I was looking at your mentions for whatever reason the other day. And I think he was trying to find something or whatever. And he was like, God, you get a lot of crap on Twitter. And I mean, I get some, I don't think I get that much. And I think it's because as I've gotten to be a little bit more famous, and I hate saying that word because I'm not famous. I'm not even marginally famous, but I can't think of a better word to use. Um, I've gotten better at kind of letting the random drive-by criticisms roll off my back. And so in that sense, I kind of like those a little more because they bother me less usually, but I certainly value what I get from close friends a lot more. And the other nice thing is with, with close friends, it's a lot easier to tell. Like I know when Joe is giving me crap about not liking a movie because he, he happens to like it, or he happens to think my reasons for disliking it are stupid. And, and I don't really think that much about it because I don't think that Joe has thought that much about it. However, if he, no, I mean that a good way. I mean that a good way. But uh-huh. if I, but if I'm on defocused and and Joe and Dan tear me a new one about some movie I like, 
I'm going to take that differently because then they are thinking about it. And that is, that is not just a haha. That's them not saying I'm like a bad person for liking some movie, but, but that's them saying, no, really, we've thought about this. And this is why I, I disagree with your point of view. And that would leave me, that would, that would make me think a lot more. And, and that having that, having that understanding of Joe and Joe having that understanding of me makes it, makes it really nice because I, I think anyway, I can tell when both of you guys are just messing with me. And when both of you guys are really saying, dude, that's not right. Uh, for, for, for the record, I, I just, just real quick. I, I don't actually care whether or not you like a movie. I, I just do it to <laughs> ruffle your feathers. Uh, I, I really think that it is a personal thing where every, everyone is entitled to their opinion. Um, it, it is, it is just for comedy that I might, I might suggest uh, that, that, <laughs> that I'm fired that is incorrect or fired or wrong um so so i just want to clarify that and you're right and, and and i can tell when you're just ruffling my feathers and and not and a lot of times i allow my feathers to get ruffled for the comedic effect you know so anyway i'm sorry mike well how do you feel about this question uh listening to you two talk about this i think i feel a little bit differently than what i thought i felt like i believed to myself that like Feedback from strangers can be better because they don't, they're not going to sugarcoat it for me, right? Because I feel like that's the thing. Like people don't want to upset uh, my feelings. So they will be, they'll be nice to me and will be like, oh, no, no, it was, it was pretty good. You know, you did, you did a good job. We're like people that don't care about that stuff so much because we're not friends. So it's like, it's not as much of a thing as to whether they will upset me or even knowing what would upset me could just be like, no, that kind of sucked. But now, now like listening to you guys, like I do feel like if, if I get like a critical criticism, like critical negatively um, from a friend, it hurts more yep. be- because then they're also choosing not to sugarcoat it as well. So it's like, mm-hmm. it must be bad. <laughs> like if, if all you can do is tell me X is bad. And like a lot of the decisions that I've made uh, with, with change, you know, like I talk about like changing shows and all that sort of stuff. I was talking about it a minute ago. One of the main things that make me do that is when I find out that a friend has stopped listening to something that I do. It's like they used to listen, mm. but now they don't listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that is like a key thing for me uh, to to realize that I need to maybe look at changing something because that's kind of like a, that that's for me, like the, the harshest criticism that I could receive. It, it's not even verbal. That's it's, a really interesting an point. Mm-hmm. I, I really dig that. And that kind of reminds me, um, there was a YouTube video, or I think it was YouTube that went around a couple of years ago, probably several years ago now of a a CS professor, I believe it was CS, uh, Randy Pausch, and he was diagnosed with some sort of terminal cancer, and he had months to live and knew it. And he did what he called his last lecture. And it was, in many ways, just a, a lecture about life and how to approach life. And it was also, in some ways, uh, uh, like a summation of his life advice for his two very young children. And it's something like an hour, an hour and a half long. I cannot stress enough how wonderful it is. And and I should probably rewatch it because I haven't watched it in a while. But he talks about, much more eloquently than I will summarize, he talks about how basically you want to be in a position where people tell you that something's not good enough because then you know that they still care. And if they're not saying to you, dude, that sucked, that's not a place you want to be. And I think that's a really interesting point. And that's, 
that what you said, Mike, reminded me of that. I also wonder, though, does does this have to do with uh, also the the form you receive the criticism in? As as both of you are like internet famous or uh, uh, gained visibility with a bigger audience, uh, uh, one might say. Um, would would you? Uh, do you feel differently? Like if somebody says something on Twitter, uh, like for feedback and then all of a sudden all these other people are joining in cause it's another famous person and it's just two famous people talking and everyone can see it. Um, <laughs> does, does that, does that, does that drive you crazy? Like it, is, is that criticism helpful or, or is it better if that other like internet famous person doesn't use Twitter the way everybody else uses Twitter and just sends you a, a private message, um, so that, that it doesn't get turned into a thing on Twitter. I would much prefer my friends give me their criticism in private than than if they were to to say like, "Hey, Mike, <laughs> last episode sucked." <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want that. Like, because that doesn't usually happen in life. That that your criticism is said in front of like rooms full of people, uh, and I do actually want to talk about an instance where that has happened to me. Um, in in a minute like that's one because we're talking about online and i actually want to talk about a bit like offline as well kind of criticism stuff but yeah i i think i would prefer if if people i i always prefer to and i think we spoke about this a bit last week like it's to kind of touch this quite heavily in last week's episode i always want to receive that stuff privately not in public because it's like washing dirty laundry in public like I prefer to receive that stuff privately and talk to somebody about it privately rather than like in front of people. Like it's like imagine like having a conversation which is sensitive with somebody in a room and the other person is like using a megaphone to answer you as opposed to just answering <laughs> your question. You know, that's that's yep. how I feel about that sort of stuff anyway. So I like to have those conversations in private. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Um it's just, it's tough. And, and the very frustrating thing, and I think this is what you were kind of talking about, Joe, although maybe I'm going on a slight tangent, is um, there are times when one of us will take a contrarian opinion to something and do it publicly. And Mike, you were talking about this a lot <laughs> one or two episodes ago. Oh. And, and, when, and suddenly something that, yes, you knew you were saying it publicly, but in the heat of the moment, you kind of forget that, or at least I do a lot of the time. And here it is, I'm not necessarily criticizing someone, but but I'm saying something that, you know, I'm saying to you, Joe, oh, I think that Star Wars is terrible or something like that. And suddenly every Star Wars nerd on the internet comes out to just shame me and say, oh my God, Star Wars is the best thing in the world. How could you even think that? What What are you? You're an idiot. You're wrong. Like that, that is frustrating. And I do it to myself occasionally, and I don't mean to, but that that is very frustrating to me, which is not maybe criticism as much, but like... Here it is, I'm trying to have a nuanced conversation on Twitter, which is a failure number one. But I'm trying to have a, new, a nuanced conversation on Twitter with some people I know, and then suddenly you've got all these drive-bys telling you how wrong you are. That's, that's tough. This week's episode of Analog is brought to you by Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. It's the only place I think of domain names and Hover 
is like synonymous in my brain. They're like linked together because when I want a domain name, I like have muscle memory to type HO into my uh, web browser and it just brings up hover because I press the enter key because it's just there. It's ready for me because when it comes to buying a domain name, it's the easiest experience. It's the best experience. It's the place that I like all my domains to be. When you're thinking about a project, you've got this new site you're launching or a new venture that you want to launch into the world naming it can be so difficult so when you actually decide on a name you want to find out if the domain's available and then buy it really quickly without a bunch of hassle you don't want a thousand screens a ton of add-ons at stupid prices you just want to get in you want to buy your .com .co.me maybe you want to buy something crazy like .plumbing if that's the kind of thing that you're interested in Hover have all of these TLDs. They're all available to you. They're at great prices. Their .com domains start at $12.99. This also includes who is privacy for free. So you need to think about that. When you're looking around and be like, oh, this place is doing like a 99 cents to sale. Find out how much the who is privacy is going to cost you because you want to want that. And Hover, they throw it in for free. So you should just go to Hover because you don't have to worry about all this craziness. You don't need to look at all this and all that. You just go to Hover and you're going to get the experience you want. They have great customer support. No hold, no wait no transfer telephone support policy is something they're famous for they have their valet service where they will take all of the hassle out of switching from your current provider they just do it for you so go right now to hover.com and try them out and use the use the coupon code simple english at checkout and you'll get 10 percent uh, off ha, ha, your ha, ha. first purchase at hover.com and show your support for analog and all of real afm that's code simple english at checkout mm. thank you so much to hover for sponsoring this week's episode of analog did you like that code casey no so let's talk about receiving feedback offline um have either of you ever been in a position where part of your job has been to evaluate other people's work? Yep. Yep. Okay. As, as in a managerial position? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that changes it because the only time that I've ever been in this situation is managerial. So how do you, Casey, feel about evaluating other people's work? Um, I'm okay with it. Um, I I prefer to do it with my name attached to it, though. Uh, several years ago and one or two jobs ago, I got evaluated by a friend of mine, actually. And the, the evaluation was extraordinarily negative, and I think unfairly so. But this was when we had, at that particular firm, we had um, anonymous, I think they called them 360 feedback or something like that. So yeah, basically man. <laughs> all, all, your, all your teammates would, um, would, would write their review of you and they would either do it anonymously or it got anonymized before you saw their comments. But because of the vernacular that this particular friend used, I knew exactly who it was. <laughs> Everybody does though, right? Right. I've done 360. One, you pick people that I think are going to be, or because we had to pick because they nominate people. You, you're going to pick people that are going to give you good feedback. Uh, or you just, once you see it, if you ever see it, you know who it is anyway. Yeah, exactly. And so one thing I will say is when I evaluate other people, I prefer to do it with my name attached to it. Because if I'm going to say something critical, which I don't always, but sometimes I do, and if they have a problem with it, I want them to be able to come to me and talk about it, which will be hugely uncomfortable for both of us if that's what ends up happening. But I still think that's the reasonable and mature way of handling it. I don't know, Joe, what do you think about this? 
Um, I, I, I have worked with a system where you're turning in feedback uh, that is identifiable, but only to HR, uh, and then they, in turn, mask where this feedback came from, and they pull from many different sources. Um, so they can also see if there's some sort of like anomalous feedback. Um, I, I think that system might be fairer in the end. Um, now, I don't, I don't feel like it is necessarily always practical for someone to identify themselves and say what it is right to your face. Like uh, while we were just talking about wanting to receive criticism from uh, from the people you work with directly and how difficult that might be, sometimes that person that you might be giving that criticism to is your boss. Um, because uh, you can sometimes be in a situation where you're asked to review your supervisor, um, and that can create some other tension. Like if you if you feel like this person is not functioning correctly in this environment, uh, and no one else can see that, it's only with you, um, then it is very difficult to approach and express that feeling. And so a lot of times people will just bottle it up if they know that this is going to be something that will identify them, and they will just sit on it and not say any criticism at all. Uh, and then just be very unhappy with work and very unhappy with their boss and ask to be transferred to different teams. Um, so I, I, I think that it makes more sense to have this stuff be identifiable but filtered through HR than to have it just be either one-on-one -on -one completely ID'd or completely anonymous, just like a suggestion box. I don't think that works. So I've done the 360 stuff and it's, you know, it's, you know, it is what it is. Like there are ways of doing it depending on who's actually monitoring it. So Casey, I've, I have had experiences closer to yours where, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that it worked in my previous company, like it just goes up to your line manager mm -hmm. um, rather than it going to a central bank. But then in the same way for you, Joe, I actually never got to see the feedback. Um, it was just kind of, uh, in my year-end reviews would be spoken about, oh, we received feedback about X on you. Um, so I never actually was able to pair the two things up. Uh, so, that, you know, they kind of were able to do it in a smarter way, but it didn't go into like HR or anything. It just went to like directly to my line manager. But I kind of, over my professional career, um, had the ability for many years, it was, you know, I was a manager of people. Like I had teams. So I, I used to, uh, I used to be a, a manager, like a branch manager of uh, retail positions for my financial company. And so I had teams of three. I had a team of 11 once. Uh, so one of the big parts of my job was to review. I mean, I used to have to sit down and do one-to-ones on like a bi-weekly basis or whatever and say to people what they were doing good in their job and what they were doing bad in their job. And it was a real interesting thing that I didn't really enjoy that much. Um I mean, a lot of the time people didn't take me seriously because uh, I was like this 22-year-old kid and I was working with people that were twice my age, you know, just like, just go away and never talk to me again kind of thing. Nobody wanted to do them. And it was like, you know, the problem in my company at the time when I was doing these is everything was so procedural-based. Like, you couldn't just sit down and talk to someone. Like, you had to talk about the four quadrant boxes and you had to make sure you talk about this and everyone wanted to sign it at the end. And it was all just, like, procedured to death. But one of the interesting parts of it was I used to go on management courses and these management courses would teach you how to give feedback to people. Um, and it was it's just like the you can kind of see the thinking that goes behind uh, 
a lot of this stuff. Like you can see the thinking of why they would want to sort of standardize it in a way to make sure that people are getting balanced feedback. But they would be like, oh, you have to say for every one bad thing you say, you have to say three good things. So it was like, <laughs> whoa, that's not that's not helpful at all. I know. No. It's like I'm making it. You're really uh, nice to be around, and you are a credit to the team and you work really hard but you are losing me money every day you know and that, and it was kind of like it doesn't make any sense what you're asking me to do like the, um, like the idea of it being was that like it's easier to take bad feedback if you're given like good feedback and also like the people that you're give you, you are as a manager giving this feedback to is people that generally actually don't care like a lot of people, especially in the areas where I worked, their jobs were their jobs. They weren't their careers. Like they were just content at do it, like come in and putting in their eight hours and like leaving it at that, which is perfectly fine. But in a sales driven culture, it's like it's it's hard to deal with that sort of stuff. Like you want like career driven people who are going to go out there and you know try and sell the value adds, you know. So you kind of, they kind of want the feedback to actually hit home with people and some managerial book somewhere told you that that was the magic formula. So it would always result in like these management courses where everybody had to give feedback about each other, like that were on the course or they would role play it, which is just a whole other kettle of fish that maybe we'll get into one day. It's talking about the why people think there's value in role plays and why there's actually no value in role plays or team building exercises. And that'll be an adults only podcast. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm literally writing in team building exercises. This is going to our future topics and role playing. Mm-hmm. Not like the fun dim- uh, diamonds, diamonds and dragons. Uh, so <laughs> Minecraft and D&D crossover diamonds and dragons. Uh, I'm going to turn uh, that into some money. Um, and there was this other course that I went on to. This was a like a foundation of management. This was my first real proper management course, even though I'd been managing a team of five people for 18 months. But that's, you know, again, maybe one day we'll talk about management and, and training culture. Um, and this course, it was like a two-week course. Uh, it was pretty intensive. And you were kind of with these 12 people for the entire time. And you were broken down into two teams of six. And you basically just did all of your work and that with these people over this period of time. And there were lots of games, but there was lots of like Myers-Briggs stuff. You know, if you've worked in a corporate environment, you're probably aware of Myers-Briggs. It's all like management and leadership training and things like that. Um, and at the end of, of this two weeks, so you, you basically everybody's away from home as well. So it's like it was a week and then a week back at home and then a week back again. So for two weeks of your life in a very short period of time, you have spent all of your time with these people. Like you're thrown together and then you basically live with each other for that period of time. So right at the very end of this course, in your group of six, there was, you'd sit at a long table. Uh, one person would sit at the head of the table and then the other five people would talk about them, like talk about you to you like give feedback on you as a person, uh, your time and the, th- the work that you've done, that kind of stuff. But it wasn't so structured in that you had to give the three to one. It was kind of just like, just tell tell the people what you think about them. And like basically, and this is apparently known in this training course, every single person cries. Every single person <laughs> cries. Because it's this insane, like really like intense feedback from people you're like you're an amazing person and you're going to do so well at your job and everything you know you know it's that kind of thing 
That sounds like psychological torture. Yeah, but it's I, not. It wasn't valuable in any yeah. way. It was just completely invaluable because there was no structure to it. But and then then therein like lies this this problem that I have with feedback in a corporate environment. Too much structure kills it, and no structure means it's worthless. But like where where so where does the structure fall? And it's like this really interesting feeling that I had whilst working in these environments is there seemed to be no way of doing it so I kind of just did it the way that I felt was right like if someone did a good job I tell them they did a good job if somebody done a dumb thing I tell them they've done a dumb thing uh and I, I don't know if it was useful like I seemed everybody that worked for me seemed to like me I wasn't very good at my job but people liked me <laughs> but like also it respected me you know because I wouldn't just be nice to everyone all the time you know but it's like it was just this idea of like I actually believe that in a corporate culture it doesn't work. Like you can't standardize this stuff one way or another because everyone's kind of different and it takes knowing the person to actually try and understand how to give feedback that makes sense to them. It's, it's a very long rant I've just given with no real uh, end to it. So I apologize for that. <laughs> Maybe you can give me feedback on how I should like wrap up my feedback <laughs> discussions. Uh, let me ask Joe. So. My understanding of your professional career, perhaps up until recently, if not continued into today, is that for a long time you were working at a film studio, and I apologize if that's already going off the wrong direction, but you're working at a company, but you weren't necessarily guaranteed to come back after each project. Is that correct, or did I already get that wrong? Uh, It gets complicated, so I'm just going to kind of gloss over it, because I also... um... There are certain aspects of it that I would say I'm not at liberally at liberty to discuss uh, on on a podcast. Um, but the um, uh, the system is basically uh, project hire based, and it's for the length of the picture. Uh, and then they would find the next project at the same facility for you to go on to, and it would be a different um, set of people you'd be dealing with in your day to day life. And sometimes you'd have people from one project move over onto another project, and so you'd you'd get to know people after some time. Um, that system uh, means that it is not up to them in terms of like tracking your performance reviews or anything because the project is too short to do that. Um, so there is another person at the company, um, a, 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 a crewing manager a, 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 that essentially manages the crew that's in the facility available to do work. Uh, and they handle doing your, your performance reviews and stuff like that. Uh, and um, that would uh, impact your uh the performance reviews would be tied to things like uh uh your title at the company um compensation stuff like that uh on a semi-annual basis basically rather than it being tied to the project you were being that you were currently working on because then that wouldn't really make a lot of sense because you wouldn't have like a, a feedback mechanism to do that so quickly in the matter of a like four months for a project like that that doesn't doesn't uh, there's no goal that you're reaching to grow but with by the end of that project there's no like next year I'll improve this thing like that 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 wouldn't make any sense uh, so that's why it's handled uh, external to the to the to the production but um not everything is like that and so it's a really sort of strangely unique position uh, but it is also a very corporate company so they handled it professionally when they did reviews and things of that nature so it, it, i thought it worked okay um and uh, uh, that's why I say that I prefer that system that allows this identifiable feedback through this one manager uh, that's that's dealing with your situation um, that 
you have a rapport with them, um, even though they're not the person that is supervising your day-to-day work. Uh, and that sometimes you might be giving feedback on that person that's supervising your day-to-day work, uh, but only for that four-month window, which is just, like I said, strange uh, and not something that most people can relate to. So it's not, it's not entirely helpful. <laughs> well, it's not that different than consulting. Um, the difference, perhaps, is that at the end of a project, I'm un- unless I act like a complete jerk, I'm pretty much guaranteed to still have a job at the end of that project. But um, but I still my manager that handles my uh, performance reviews and goal setting and things like that is not the person that I work with on a day to day basis, much like you described. And so that is kind of similar. I don't know. It work reviews they're just uncomfortable no matter what you do. And I've come to the conclusion that I tend to operate on the principle that I'm generally a pretty open book and I'm generally going to tell people how I feel. And I don't mean that in the, like I walk up to Mike and say, Hey, you're an idiot way. But if somebody's going to ask me, Hey, you know, what should I have done differently there? Or did you think I handled that? Okay. Or tell me your, you know, review for this other employee. I'm going to call it like I see it. And Sometimes I don't think that goes that well, but more often than not, I think it's appreciated that I'm telling people what I think rather than being so scared that I'm going to hurt their feelings. And I try not to sugarcoat it necessarily, but I guess sugarcoat it in that I try not to be, I I try not to like destroy anyone. God, I can't think of the way I'm, I can't phrase this right, but I try to be kind and yet constructive. And yeah, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to be giving people bags of sugar, but you don't want to be a bulldozer either. Like, yeah, that's there exactly is a line, right. but it's hard to, I mean, you will always fall one way or another on that scale, but yeah. it's to try and not go too far in either camp. But, but having someone around you that will tell you how it is, even when you don't want to hear it is a very valuable thing. And I hope, I hope that I serve as that person for at least a few of my coworkers. Yeah, and while we've we've been discussing things like performance, did either of you have to deal with um, situations where you were reviewing the work of another person rather than the performance of another person? Yeah, but not in a long time. We do code review, yeah. or we had done code reviews at one of my first jobs, and that was something that I dreaded when I first started there, being the recipient of a code review, um, or the, I guess the presenter. You know what I mean? The the person whose code is under review. Um, I hated it at first because I knew that it was going to get torn apart. That was kind of the purpose of the meeting. But over time, I came to love it and now miss it because I learned so much. And even being a participant in somebody else's code review and hearing what the other people reviewing that person's code said was fascinating. And I learned so much from it. And I wish I did it in my job today. I think one of the only places where... I would review work. It was like when I, when I then moved over to marketing, um, you kind of go to an agency presentation where they would show you the creative work that they've done. And then at the end of the presentation, they're like, so what do you think? It's like, this is like everybody who's worked on this work is in the room. So bad idea. Number one, right? Because I, you know, I'm paying you an amount of money for this. So I'm going to want it the way that I will want it to a point, right? After you give me these suggestions, or if I don't like any of it, which happened from time to time. Um, 
I kind of don't want to tell the art worker and the planner and the creative person that it's bad. I just want to tell the account manager because then they, because it's not my job to, to, to sugarcoat for those people. Like, cause that's how it works. Like in these, in these, for people that don't know, when you work with like a creative agency, you'll have your, uh, like your account director or your sort of team leader who works at the agency that you talk to and you, you can be basically as open and as honest as you want, you know, to that person because they then give feedback inside the company to the other relevant people. So it's up to you. Like if you want to be harsh with them, you can do that knowing that more likely if they're doing, if they're doing their job properly, it's not going to upset the, the people who work in the studio teams or the creative teams, because it's up to the account manager to relay that information in a way that they will then corral their team to do work. Right. Because well, in theory, I mean, that's how a lot of people do it. I mean, I would always at least try and be nice to the account manager as well, because I think you should. Uh, but it's a way, you know, that's kind of the way that a lot of these structures work. Joe, do you disagree with me? Uh, I'll just say that that doesn't necessarily mean that the account manager is turning around and sugarcoating it as much as oh, it no. just means that you're they that you are not distracted by the recipients overhearing with every little word that you're saying. So you're not worried about their feelings and that it's the account manager's job to worry about that. And in often times, you know, he might not really be concerned because they're not going to meet you. You're not going to meet them. And then, so it, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it just provides a filter where it's just like, you're not dealing with the person one-on-one -on -one, having to explain to them, like you're saying in the, in the previous story, uh, nobody's going to cry. Uh, cause the account manager is not going to cry. It's not their artwork. They didn't stay up till two in the morning doing it. Uh, like that, that, that part of it is removed from that. And so the account manager is not going to take it personally. Exactly. Um, like, the, like the, the other recipient might, it, you, all you're doing is insulating things when, when you have that sort of separation, which is not necessarily bad in and of itself, but it can also insulate the feedback because you might say something that's going to get filtered down. Uh, through several other people to the person actually executing and they yeah. might not execute exactly what you want uh, when you get it back again and it would be sometimes more productive to just sit down with that person and be like no literally this and they'll be like oh okay well that makes so much more sense they were telling me this other thing and you're like oh of course not um, so that filtering helps emotions but it doesn't always help clear up things and actually get things done all the time yeah, so there are like there are benefits and disadvantages with that approach, and the disadvantages definitely it's like the telephone game in that it's you know it's going through and basically it's going this person said this, this person said this, this person said this, and it goes through like that, and you kind of ends up diluting the message. But it's kind of like when you're in these scenarios, like you have to pay for the account manager, so you may as well get them to do the job for you, because because it, it can be a bit awkward because then you have to, you said all this stuff in the room because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, and then you have to have an aside conversation with the account manager and be like, no, this is all wrong stuff. Start again. <laughs> but anyway, I uh, I don't really have. Anything else that I wanted to, to touch on today? I don't know if you gentlemen do at all. I think that that ending of the show was terrible and you should do a better job next time. Okay, so let me try again. So I'm going <laughs> to go back to the start. Casey, a couple of weeks ago on ATP, you spoke about fast text. Like, you, oh, what God. is fast text? No, no, we're not happening. Um, Joe, any other thoughts from you? I appreciate you uh, sitting in. We, we totally sprung this on Joe. And if you continue to hear the after show, you'll hear exactly what we're talking about. But we kind of um, uh, bait and switched Joe into joining the show tonight. So, Joe, any other thoughts from you? Thank you for coming and, and allowing us to bait and switch you 
Um, but any, but any other thoughts on criticism and any criticisms you'd like to levy at the two of us? Okay. My main criticism is I thought I was coming on here just to make fun of both of you. And so I'm really disappointed that that didn't actually work out. Um, but, but no, I, I, I seriously appreciate, uh, you both having me on your show. Um, I thought that, uh, it was a really good discussion and it is, of course, like many things, an awkward subject, uh, with, with the tension between sugarcoating and not sugarcoating. Um, so, uh, Thank you for, for having me on and giving me the chance to also apologize once again to Casey because he loves hearing the apologies so much. Everyone send him your apologies, please. Lots of them. So, Joe, where can people, uh, where can they find you and where can they uh, keep up with the work that you do? Where can they find your show? That kind of thing. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I am at Joe Steele on Twitter. Uh, Steel like the metal, not steel like the activity. Um, and uh, you can find the podcast that I do with Dan Sturm at defocus.co. Um, it is a uh, vaguely movie-related podcast. It's a great podcast. It, it should have won an upgrade Uh I don't know. I, I think uh, we were going up against a heavy hitter there. Yeah, you were. You, it, it, the odds were stacked against you, but I think of all the shows to lose to, Isometric is a good show in that. Yeah. You know. the- the the only winning winning move is not to get nominated. Yeah, <laughs> but I I I thought well, I mean yeah we voted one way and the other, but I, I still think that you guys are worthy. I lo- I love Defocus. It's a great show, and people should listen to it if they haven't. Um, thank you so much uh, for tuning in to uh, Analog. Thanks to our sponsors this week, our friends at Harry's, Hover, and Dev Mountain, and we'll be back next time. If you want to find us online, there's a couple of ways you can do that. If you want to find Mr. Casey Liss, you can find him on Twitter. He is at C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S. That's Casey Liss, and he obviously hosts the fantastic Accidental Tech Podcast at ATP.FM. I am Mike Hurley. I am at iMike on Twitter. I-M-Y-K-E, and I host many shows at Relay.FM. If you want to find the show notes for this week's episode, a good place to go, in fact, the best place to go, maybe, is Relay.FM slash analog slash 21, or you can look in your lovely podcast application of choice and it should if, if it's a good if it's a well-respected podcast application uh, you will find the show notes based within there i'm trying to think of what's that term like all good video stores like what was that all good all good places where all, videos are all sold? the good shows all the good oh. shows <laughs> you know that's that kind of thing anyway uh but we'll be back next time uh until then say goodbye joe goodbye say goodbye casey i'll see you later mike i hate you both Right, so we're now live, uh, and also, you know, for the benefit of you potentially wanting to put this in as an after show, which it probably should be. So Casey sent me a message five minutes before a recording telling me that he couldn't record today because Back to the Future 3 was on. Um, And I said to him uh, to man up and set the DVR, and then also, you know, he said that he thought I'd be a little bit more sympathetic, to which I said to him, maybe if it was one or two. Now... Let me let me go through this with you for a moment. Uh, I haven't watched Back to the Future three as recently as I've watched Back to the Future one and two. Um, I w- I always thought that Back to the Future two is my favorite Back to the Future movie. Upon rewatching them both, I realized that Back to the Future the original is my favorite. The reason I always liked two as a kid uh, was because of the future scene. I just loved it. Everything about it. You know. 
Oh, I agree. I'm I'm waiting for you to finish your spiel ah, okay. so I can tear you in two. Also, interestingly, you know, this is the year, right? 2015 is the year. Now, hold on. Is that really true, though? Because every year for the last 10 years, they always yeah, say, no. oh, this is where they go to the future. It's this, this year. Is, because- no, it is, it is 2015 because uh, it's 1985, isn't it? Yep. And they go back to 1955. And then forward 30 to, years. To 15, 2015. It is 2015. Okay, I can um, buy that. So my the the reason that I feel that Back to the Future Three is inferior to Back to the Future One is oh, for well, what... oh, okay. Well, that I can get. Behind. Okay. Well, well, what I my I have a, a, a my basically my fatal problem with Back to the Future Three is Back to the Future Two. Okay. Bear with me here. I'm got, yeah, I'm you're going to have to take me on this journey because I'm not with you so far. Can you tell me what happens at the end of Back to the Future 2? I haven't seen Back to the Future 2 in forever. The end of Back to the Future 2 spoils Back to the Future 3 by showing the to be continued. And then it shows like a clip montage and shows basically the entire plot of Back to the Future 3. But oh, it's it part of the second movie. Like even on the Blu-ray release that I have, it's there. I did not know that. I I knew they showed something, but I didn't know what. That's that's interesting. Okay, well, you're you're still wrong, but at least you're wrong for justifiable reasons. I don't know about that. Oh, you're so wrong. Back to the Future Three is delightful, and the problem is is that everyone thinks that it's not delightful, but it is in fact delightful. Also, why is Joe Steele in our Skype call all of a sudden? Hi, Joe. How are you? <laughs> He's not there yet. I'm calling him. I'm calling him so he can tell you why you're wrong, uh, because oh, he God. probably does a lot better deal with these things than me, but he's not picking up. So Good. Might... Thank goodness, because I'm right, and I don't need him trying to mind screw me and in, in, in perform Inception and tell me that I'm wrong and convince me that I'm wrong. Back to the Future 3 is a wonderful film. It is campy, it is stupid, and it is delightful for exactly those reasons. It is. There are there are more. Bye, Joe. There are more significant problems with Back to the Future Three than the other movies, though, as well. That it's kind of a little bit ridiculous. Plus, as well, like I was, I watched the end of Back to the Future Two a couple of days ago because it was on TV, and the timeline stuff starts to get so messed up. In two, at the end of two, leading into three. Yeah, oh, it's it's ridiculous. Like, it's too- how does the Doc help him go back when the Doc is in the past? And obviously it's a different timeline for the Doc. And how does that, you know? Like, oh, yeah. how... I don't understand how that bit works. It starts to get a bit wibbly-wobbly. Uh, however, I do believe that, that Back to the Future is... I'm not, I probably shouldn't say this. The best trilogy ever made. Oh, I personally am not going to take issue with that. Actually, maybe I will with Batman. So the two of us... Wait, 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 wait. But are you saying Batman's better than Star Wars? Because that's wrong. I prefer prefer Back to the Future to Star Wars. I would probably say I agree with that. I don't have any hatred for Star Wars by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't have any particular love for Star Wars either. Okay, I love Star Wars. I love Back to the Future more, but I love Star Wars. I can get behind that. I mean, to be fair, I haven't. We, should we get Joe on the chat? We we can only do this for a minute because we really have a show to do, and I, I have a second to show to do. Um, but uh, but no, I, you know, Star Wars is a great trilogy, and to be fair, I haven't seen it in a while. And I think you and I should at least um, 
put it put it on the record that Lord of the Rings is not a very good trilogy. Either the first or the second trilogy, not very good. Tell us why we're wrong. Uh, well, I just want to point out. I just want to point out that Star Wars way better than any of the Batman movies. And yeah. I, I, like uh, even if you if you, if you yeah, but you the, hate the t- but you hate Christopher no- Christopher Nolan. I thought. Well, not just Christopher Nolan, but even the other Batman trilogy is also not great. But the the third ba- uh, the the third movie in uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy is so incredibly bad that it really takes a lot of the shine away from the preceding two movies. And the second movie is deeply flawed in terms of uh, the second villain that they added is is kind of ruins the other arc of it. Like everybody's like, oh, the Joker's so great, but it's like, yeah, but there's a lot of stuff in this movie that doesn't actually work. Like, I wouldn't so, say it doesn't work as much as I would say that it's maybe a little forced. Yeah, okay. We just didn't need Two-Face. <laughs> it didn't work. It, it, my it, my it was, problem with Two-Face is he's a wasted villain. Yeah, they could have done so much more with him. And just he wasn't in the third movie. Yeah, I would agree with that. But, yeah, uh, it, or, or have him come back and do something in the third movie. I mean, he's, he's not even there. He's, he's set up and dismissed. Um, it, it, it's ridiculously stupid uh and a total waste um uh i i I didn't mind aaron eckhart as harvey dent i i just minded aaron eckhart as as two-face it it just didn't need it it would have been great in that character if they would have given the character any time yeah i think that's probably fair but so I, i i tend to like christopher nolan quite a lot uh and i love the batman trilogy now i will be the first to admit that if you really turn your brain on as you're watching the batman trilogy joe is right there's plot holes everywhere there's unnecessary i, I don't know the term i'm looking for but there's stuff that they do that's unnecessary actually like two-face is a great example to both of your points but but i just think it's an unbelievably enjoyable fun trilogy i really enjoy star wars but i think i've seen the star wars trilogy maybe two or three times in my life i mean i just i don't Get huh. off on it like You're a lot fired. of people do. Wow, that's a big <laughs> surprise. Why do I, just, I know so many people that don't have this affection for Star Wars? Like, Federico's never seen them at all, which I don't understand. I mean, I love them. I said, I love them. I love Star Wars, but I just prefer Back to the Future. Back to the Future is more my kind of movie, I think, than Star Wars. But I, I love them deeply. Uh, See, the problem I have with Back three. to the Future, though is the second one, even as a, I mean, as a kid, watching the future in the second Back to the Future movie, uh, unbelievably good, just like you were saying, unbelievably cool. But even then, I, I don't know, I don't think I'm a particularly you know smart guy, or in, I'm not smarter than anyone else, but even as a kid, I looked at that and I was like, there's no f-ing way that's going to be the future. Come on. No, none of that is real. None well, of that is the even in the machine, vicinity of, of real. <laughs> but but it, it's, it's, a, it's a comedy, you know? Like, it, it doesn't yeah. need to literally be a realistic depiction of what the the future is going to be like every everything's just kind of jokey uh nothing nothing in there is really serious so i i had always said that back to the future 2 is my favorite until recently watching these with my girlfriend who this was the first time she'd seen any of these movies and we watched the end of the second one she was like that movie was so depressing and i'd never really (laughs) seen it that way before but it's like the whole like basically post-apocalyptic future is just super depressing all of that bit um and kind of the end back to the future too nobody wins anything because everyone that wins ends up just failing more you know it's 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 not really a very joyous tale could you say mike that the only winning move is not to play 
I've not even seen the movie that that is from. What is that right. movie again? Oh, it's, it's so good. War games. War Speaking games. of um, movies that don't really age well, but so well, good. I mean it. It's about the Cold War, so let's just that's really accessible for you. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, that's yeah. funny. And I, I don't know. The problem I have with Back to the Future 2 is, uh, and, and this relates to me maybe not being the singularly brightest crayon in the entire box, is that I try to follow that, that timeline, for lack of a better word. And to your point earlier, Mike, it gets so convoluted and crazy. And again, I haven't seen it in years. And so maybe if I watched it tomorrow, I'd be like, oh, um, that made perfect sense. Why was I so confused? But sitting here now, I just... Mm, I don't know. It was so convoluted and so crazy, and I just did not care for it. Plus, Biff is like the super mega conglomerate successful guy. I mean, I know that's the point of the movie, and I know that that's like, it's deliberately wrong. Like, I, I conceptually understand that, but emotionally, I'm like, oh, God, what is this? I can't handle this. Hence the depressing yeah. part. I think my, yeah. my main problem with the timeline problem is for a trilogy where in the first movie they take a moment to actually draw a timeline on a chalkboard, they should have paid more <laughs> attention to their own timeline. But. Fair enough. Yeah, well, I mean, the time travel in it does not hold up. Uh, the movie works better on its... Uh, 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 on uh, character and the drama, the comedy, um, uh, and that goes for all three of them. Um, the the time travel components, uh, like you're going to fade out of existence slowly, but not really, <laughs> but kind of, because something maybe kind of happened, and people are going to still remember that you're there and talking to you. Uh, I don't know. It it, it it doesn't deal well with with paradoxes and stuff like that. So, like, so it's not it's not good for that. Uh, you, you really, if you're spending all of your time thinking about that, then you've you've you're not. Uh, uh, enjoying uh, what's going on on screen for the the character moments. Did anyway, see... I think I've ruined your your podcast. Uh, so w- would you like me to get off now? <laughs> um, Unless you want to stick around. <laughs> yeah, if you want to stick around, whatever. Um, that's fine. But uh, did you see Primer, Joe, or Mike, for that matter? No, uh, I believe it's it. pronounced Primer. Primer. Um, but yeah. the, uh, I can't tell if you're being serious I, or if you're trolling no, me right is, now. It is it is Primer. Yeah, seriously, it, uh, you're yeah. American. No, but it's a, it's a, like a, a, I can't remember the exact explanation, but apparently it's like some engineering term or something that has to be primer instead of primer. Anyway, uh, <laughs> they, there's, there's a good episode of The Incomparable about how bad that movie is. Uh, oh, it, God, why do you have to ruin everything, Joseph? Well, did you see it? Yeah, but it, again, it was years ago and I liked it. Okay. And it made well, conceptual sense to me. You're wrong, but uh, the, <laughs> it makes, it makes, it makes conceptual sense. Like the time travel in there is good. Like it obeys all of its own rules and stuff like that. It's right, just a that's terrible my point. movie. Have you seen Looper? <laughs> yes. It, no, I haven't. Now Looper oh, has that's excellent a good time travel. That's one of the best time travel movies I've seen. It deals with everything in a really smart way, and it has some interesting. I would agree plot with that. Points. You should see that, Joe. I think that it could break you out of it. Plus, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is has his face changed to look like Bruce Willis, which I still don't fully understand why they needed to do that, but it's great. And they deal with a lot of like uh future things really well. Like uh everybody is driving cars from now because they want classic cars and they bolt like these uh solar panel roofs on top of them and stuff. It, it deals with a lot of things really cleverly and it's like it's in the future, but most of it doesn't look like it's that far in the future because like realistically nothing probably would change. It's a good movie. Really good movie. Really good movie. Bruce Willis. Okay. Yeah, I would it? agree. Jeff Daniels yeah. is in it as the bad guy, which is awesome. It's a good movie. Yeah, how can you go okay. wrong with Jeff Daniels and Bruce Willis? I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, you should watch that, and you should have us on with uh, with Dan, and we will uh, we will explain to you how amazing uh, Looper is, and 
You will try to explain to us how we're wrong, and you will fail. All right, uh, are uh, you sticking sure. around for the show since uh, since you're here? Uh, I don't want to impose on you guys because I'm sure you guys are actually have topics. <laughs> so well, we're going to just... talk about we're talking about guilt, dealing with criticism. Oh. Yeah, actually, dealing with criticism with you around, Joe, that might make sense since <laughs> all you do is yell at me. Uh, this got uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs>